the Radio Stingray podcast is brought to you by our gold sponsor, McNally Jones Staff Lawyers, proudly supporting the MUA Sydney branch since 1977. Need assistance with employment, industrial or workers' compensation, or any other legal problem? Phone 9233 4744 or visit mcnally.com.au and get a real fighting lawyer on your side. tuned in to Radio Stingray. G'day and welcome to a special edition of Radio Stingray. Uh, today we're recording in the office of the CFMU in Lidcombe, which is a working class suburb in Sydney's west. My name's Shane Reeside and I'm an organiser for the MUA and with me we have Steve Murphy, the New South Wales Secretary of the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union, Paul McAleer, the Secretary of the Sydney Branch of the Maritime Union of Australia and Darren Greenfield, the Secretary of the New South Wales CFMU. How's it going boys? Very well, thank you. Very good, mate. Uh, by way of introduction and perhaps starting with you, Darren, could each of you give us uh, a bit of a rundown on what kinds of work your members do and where? Yeah, mate, our members are in the construction industry and basically they do like things from steel fixing, scaffolding, form work, tower crane drivers, mobile crane drivers, um, all the sorts of jobs you get on a construction site, basically. Uh, we cover all of them and... Uh, we've got plenty of them out there at the moment, mate. There's a lot of work going on in this town. Mm. So, yeah. And Steve? Well, we're the subject of around 70-odd amalgamations in the ANWU. Um, largely, our history is steeped in the metal trade. So if it's made out of metal or it needs fixing and it's made out of metals, we, we cover it. But we've got broad coverage in relation to food manufacturing, in relation to the transport industry generally, uh, around maintenance and repair work. Uh, and we've also got printing and packaging coverage all across the state. And so whereabouts would a lot of your members be concentrated, Steve? Well, we've got three geographical areas where we base our organisers. One in Granville in Sydney. A lot of our members are based in Western Sydney. We've got a Newcastle office. We've got thousands of members all the way from Newcastle up to the Queensland border. And we've got a southern regional office based in Wollongong, where we go out to Canberra and all the way down to uh, Albury. And Macca, the maritime workers? Well, we're a minnow compared to these two. We're only 2,300 members based out of Port Botany and Port Jackson. And we cover seafarers, wharfies... Uh, ferry workers, port workers, um, and divers. Now, all three of your unions have been involved in various ways in supporting the ACTU's Change the Rules campaign. This campaign, led by ACTU Secretary Sally McManus, is arguing that the rules governing wealth distribution in Australia are broken and need to be changed. The campaign has a wide-ranging set of demands designed to substantially tip the balance of power away from big business and towards ordinary people. The demands include limiting casualisation and contracting, uh, allowing for workers to collectively struggle for industry-wide standard wages rather than a collective agreement that just sets out the conditions for a single business, favouring permanent migration over temporary migration, ensuring equal pay for women, raising the minimum wage, and crucially, uh, making bargaining rules fairer, which is a way of saying right to strike without saying right to strike. Steve, uh, you wrote an article in the Newcastle Herald a few weeks ago about the right to strike. Can you explain to us why this particular bit of the change rules agenda is important? Well, I came from the shop floor. I was a fitter myself. Um, grew up in 
uh, regional New South Wales, got myself a, a job as a fitter. And you learn pretty quickly when you're an apprentice that if you're treated bad by your boss, there's two things you can do. You can either cop it or you can stand up and say, I deserve to be treated better. And as a group of apprentices, um, we thought that there was a right to strike automatically. If you're a worker in this country, that you had a right to withdraw your labour. So if they're attacking your job, making you do things that are unsafe, or they're after one of your mates or even a union delegate, you can withdraw your labour. turns out um, when you start asking those questions as a young worker, it's not true. So we, we quickly learnt that you know sticking together, looking after each other um, was a way to win. And you kind of grow from that. Um, the important thing is that this debate around the right to strike is in two parts and people try to blur it. One is the theory of it. And that's what we talk about when we're having conversations like this and when we're having conversations out in our workplace. And that is you should have the right to withdraw your labour as a worker if your job is under threat, if they're asking you to do something unsafe or they try to attack another worker on your site, whether it's union delegate or not. The other part that they try to blur up is, and this is done by politicians, is the practice of it. And now what we've got to think about is what does a meaningful right to strike look like in legislation? And we've got to uh, be really disciplined about it, but we've got to have substantial answers for what that looks like. But in terms of the theory, what we value is, if you're under attack by a boss or by a government or there's something that you really believe in, you should be able to withdraw your labour to make sure that that's being looked after. Are you able to give us any examples uh, where strike action has been successful uh, in Australia? Well, we've, there's a long history in, in the metal workers. Um, you know, we were the union that delivered the 38-hour week many, many, many years ago, and we did that not by asking a, a very generous government or a bunch of bosses that were prepared to give stuff out. We did it by taking collective action. Recently, you know, we've had um, broader collective actions that helped us win the streets campaign. And most recently, we've had uh, a lengthy set of industrial action with us and the ETU to deliver a substantial win for workers at Downer in the Hunter Valley. Um, we've got a pretty clear message for workers out there. If you join together in a union, you take collective action, you win. Uh, and what that win looks like depends upon what you want to change in your workplace. Darren, what happens to members in your industry, mate, when they take strike action? Do you, uh, from your experience, get the impression that we currently have the right to strike in Australia? Well, at the moment, I get the impression that we don't. And the government that's in place at the moment has definitely taken it to the extreme that there isn't a right to strike there and the laws they've brought in. Basically, my background is in the construction industry as a scaffolder. And if the job wasn't safe, you weren't getting paid, something was wrong, no one would listen, sort of like Steve said, you basically withdraw your labour. You're not a slave. You're there earning money to feed your family and keep your life going and you withdraw your labour. Many times over the years I've been out 14 weeks on the grass, 12 weeks on the grass, 8 weeks on the grass for different things. I mean, we fought for superannuation years ago. That spread across the country. We fought for that. That was doom and gloom. Clouds were going to cave in. Sky was going to open up and swallow everyone. That's now a common thing in Australia. And without the right to withdraw your labour, you don't achieve them things. And it's an important process. At the moment, basically, we have construction workers out there that are getting ripped off. They don't get their wages in the bank. They cannot withdraw their labour because if they do, they get prosecuted. And, I mean, these laws, I just can't believe that they've ever been brought in in this country, some of these laws we have now, because, as I said earlier, we are not slaves. We go out there and work. We supply our labour to get paid for it and do it safely. And if we aren't getting that and achieving that, we should withdraw our labour. And it is the only way to achieve certain things because people don't listen if you don't do that. 
Maka, there's been a few times recently where maritime workers have uh, have withdrawn their labour collectively over a, a range of issues. Can you describe an example of that and perhaps some of the repercussions for the individuals and in the union as a result and also some of the positive outcomes? Well, I can. Maritime workers have never done anything wrong, um, legally speaking, uh, of course. We uh, continue to get challenged by smart um, lawyers suggesting that we have, but Fundamentally, at the end of the day, um, maritime workers over many, many decades now have fought for their conditions as hard as is necessary to. So oftentimes, that doesn't necessarily meet uh, the test of the industrial relation laws at the time, but we've uh, always been very mindful that we have a legacy um, in our industry to fight as hard as we possibly can to win um, any campaign that we're fighting for or any opposition that confronts us. And from time to time, particularly in the last five years or so, that's been escalated into the federal court and also the union as well as officials being sued uh, for taking action. And there's a number of cases that are happening right now as a consequence of that. I mean, they're directly related to either safety uh, or our job security. And we've had um, instances recently where a, a woman is, was thrown from a straddle and the workers uh, refused to operate machinery for 16 days in a row, which is quite significant for the waterfront. And we were marched off to the commission um, within hours of that happening uh, after the employer demanded us to go back into unsafe machinery and unsafe workplace. We've had other instances where uh, we've taken protected industrial action and that's been undermined by the use of uh, other contractors. And we just see example after example where workers attempt to do the right thing and follow the, the rules uh, but bosses and their lawyers are, are able to creatively come up with new avenues to ensure that any industrial action uh, is either not protected or is uh, incapable of achieving the results that the workers are taking action for. So fundamentally, at the end of the day, the work laws that uh, many workers are confronted with on a daily basis um, is one in which it's skewed towards the bosses and the ruling class. And the consequence to that is workers are working increasingly dangerous jobs. Their uh, job security is um, being uh, attacked and weakened. And the consequence to those two things is inequality. When industrial action was at its peak in this country, uh, inequality was at its lowest. And today, with the uh, almost curtailing of industrial action, we've seen a substantial rise in inequality. So I think the two are intrinsically linked. And for those people out there who aren't familiar with how uh, the strike laws are written in Australia, does somebody want to give the 30-second version of the conditions under which you're actually able to legally take strike action in Australia? I'll touch on that at the moment, mate. The only time you can withdraw your labour is what is called protected action. And basically, you're, you're fighting for an industrial agreement, an EBA. And even the laws that are in place for that get undermined. As Paul said, you take protected action. We've got actually two protected actions running at the moment and work is going out next week. And um, as soon as you start that process, start following that process, they throw it into the Filthy Fair Work Commission, or I should say Unfair Work Commission, where it's all stacked against the employees for the boss and they try and undermine that process anyway. And we've been prosecuted in the past taking protected action, which you should be protected, but they still come after you and get you in the federal court and prosecute you for that. So there really is none at the moment. 
It's my understanding that the rules governing the conditions under which we're currently able to take strike action have their genesis in laws that were enacted by the Hawke-Keating government in the early 90s. Uh, with the active support of the ACTU, and that this system of laws were most recently reiterated uh, in Rudd and Gillard's Fair Work Act. The laws that we're currently describing and having difficulty with are largely the product of successive Labor governments. Maka, why don't we already have the right to strike? Because we live in under a capitalist system. The right to strike has achieved the most significant gains for workers in this country's history. No legislation has been created without it being fought for in the streets and in, in our workplaces. And people um, across the community, particularly um, bosses and um, big business, recognise how powerful a weapon withdrawing your labour actually is. And that's why they do everything in their power, however creatively um, and by whichever government, to ensure that a worker's ability to take um, industrial action or to withdraw their labour is curtailed to the extent possible. And quite disappointingly, we've had multiple Labor governments elected by working class people, elected by um, trade unionists, um, and their ability to withdraw their Labor has never been gifted to them. And it's one of the tragedies of uh, Australian politics that the most important condition a worker has, which is to withdraw their Labor, um, is denied to them. So it's not surprising, given how powerful industrial action uh, is the right to strike where, as I said previously, all of our conditions of employment, whether they be industrial, social or political, have been won by those sacrificing their time and in most cases, um, you know, conditions or, or, or their pay packets to win those for us. And the community should reflect on that and, um, and think about why in we, why is it the case that inequality is growing? And I say it's because industrial action is, is is less now than it ever was. Steve, what's your take on that, mate? Why do you think that we didn't end up with stronger uh, protections from employer retaliation when we take strike action under the former government? Well, I think the summary of that is that big business has an unprecedented level of power right now in Australia. 30% of them pay no tax, and they're going to throw everything they've got at this to make sure that the system doesn't change. The reality is for workers is that we're kind of been asleep. We've been lulled into this circumstance that says we've never had it so good during the mining boom that we got to share in all the wealth of the country. The thing is, once that mining boom retracted, um, so did this veil of us as working people um, being part of uh, a share of what that mining boom delivered. And as it bounces again, working people are being left behind in this country. And as we get out there as the AMW and start to organise in new areas and organise new workplaces, a lot of workers out there do think that they've got the right to strike. Uh, it's only when you tell them about how hard it is that they kind of realise how shit the system is for workers right now and how hard it is to fight back. But the good thing about the Change the Rules campaign, it's actually educated workers who have previously been isolated from the political debate. Um, they're now aware of what the problems are with this system of trickle-down economics and what a load of shit it is. Um, and that they're actually prepared to do something bold to change what that system looks like and change what the outcome is for working people. The reason we don't have it is we're not well enough organised yet to be able to put enough pressure on these politicians that are just in that for themselves, that aren't yet prepared to roll their sleeves up and work hard for working people. We've got to change the political climate so that any future government will do what workers want and what's in their interests, not what's in the interest of big business. 
So the ACTU is pursuing a multi-pronged campaign. Um, they've organised a range of actions nationwide, most notably a massive 100,000 people plus demo in Melbourne. And they're currently honing in on an election campaign strategy designed to get voters in key seats to switch their vote from Liberal to Labor and thus deliver a shortened uh, Labor government. Darren, over the last 12 months, construction and maritime workers have repeatedly walked off the job and taken to the streets of Sydney demanding that the system be changed. Given the marginal seats campaign is gearing up, why continue to take this kind of action? It's important we continue it on going forward up until the, the election is called and, and even after that point. We're out again on the 6th of September and have a rally in Sydney with all unions and we're getting out there to show this dirty government that's in at the moment, what we think of them and what we think of the laws they're bringing in against us and also to make the other side aware we mean business when it comes to what we want. And even if they get into power or when they get into power and this government moves on, that we're going to hold them to account. In the past, unfortunately, I think the union movement is, they get into government, the Labor Party, and the union movement sits back and says, oh, yeah, they're in there. Well, we're not going to take that stance anymore. We're going to hold them to account once they do get in to make sure that working people get what they deserve. They put a lot of effort into voting for these people and back in the Labor Party a lot of the time, and they deserve the outcomes that they should get. As has been said here already, uh, unfortunately for years they haven't, and they've actually been shafted by both parties. But we're making it very, making the Labor Party very aware around the country that we are here and we are here in front of them and we're going to stay in front of them and hold them to account. And it's important too for the public that they see our members out there marching through the streets protesting for what they believe in, and that is their wages and conditions and moving forward and the disgraceful laws in this country to get them changed. Does that mirror the experience of the maritime workers, Macca? Oh, well, the maritime workers and construction workers have been very close for forever. We've always taken a much more militant stand than the ordinary worker um, has, and that's why we're looked up to and looked towards by um, many workers out in the community as well. As the AMW has got a very long history of militant class struggle as well, which um, the more of it, the better for my mind. It's only been through that militant um, street campaigning um, workplace class struggle that we've achieved the outcomes that we have. That is why workers across our industries are some of the best paid blue-collar workers in the country. That's not just because our work's hard and difficult and dangerous. It's because our unions uh, have never shirked our responsibility in defending our members' rights to a safe workplace um, or for their rights at work, which has to always include the right to strike. And the rallies that the CFMEU have uh, led in um, the last few years have been, or the construction division in particular, have been very significant. We've seen more and more workers coming out um, at um, local meetings, calling upon their unions to support these um, massive struggles. And I think that, the, you know, the peak bodies around the country are starting to wake up to the fact that trying to negotiate with a multi-billionaire company that's not paying any tax isn't getting the outcomes that it may have once been um, achieved. So... These days, when the laws are as extreme as they are, it's our duty and responsibility as militant trade unionists to lead our forces and lead the class struggle, and that means getting out and defying the law um, and getting out in the streets demanding our rights, uh, and workers love it. Our members absolutely love it. They can't get enough of it, 
if they could, if we could call one once a week, they'd be out there in the streets once a week um, supporting these um, massive rallies. And uh, congratulations has got to go to Victoria. Seeing um, those over 100,000 people marching through Melbourne was very significant and just goes to demonstrate how much power we have. When you sit across from a billionaire, there's only one or two of them. And when you've got the ability to go in with a 100,000 people in a fight, you're never going to lose. We will never lose by sticking together. Protect is Australia's leading industry severance scheme with over 30,000 workers and 1,200 participating employers. Protect works hard to provide vital financial security for workers when you and your family need it most. For more information, email www.protect.net.au. There is uh, 12.5 million people in the Australian workforce, according to the census. About 65% of the population as a whole. Uh, the combined national membership of the Australian unions is sitting at the historical low of about 14%. The construction, manufacturing and maritime unions membership combined would be about 1.5% of the Australian workforce. It's, it's a pretty small figure. Steve, do our unions have enough industrial power to push an ALP government into delivering anything? And uh, what do we need to do to increase that power? Well, you know, numbers are one part of the power, I guess you might say. Um, but there's 2 million workers across those three industries. We've got around 10% density. Collectively, we've got around 200,000 members that are listening to what the unions are saying. And the truth is that working people are, are, are now being woken up to this notion that trickle-down economics doesn't work, this notion that you give the very, very rich in our community all of the money and all of the power, and somehow that's going to filter down to people that live week to week with their wages that they're going to be better off. They've not woken up that this doesn't work. Secondly is that we've educated them around what working together as a collective can achieve, lifted what their hopes might be for the future for their country and for themselves and for their workplaces. Thirdly is that they've now got a voice through the Change the Rules campaign, and we've been able to identify a, number, a range of things um, that have been exposed through this Change the Rules campaign that have got people's attention. You know, whether that be about the myth of trickle-down economics or about the rampant wage theft that's happening across every single industry, no matter what one you work in, cuts to penalty rates is going to flow on if we don't stop it to every single worker. The destruction of secure jobs in this country, whether they're being offshored or casualised or contracted or whatever else, this idea that minimum wages is a living wage is a total bunch of bullshit. And thirdly, around the cost of living, where they're telling us if we get a tax cut, that suddenly our, our cost of living will be, that's, that's just rubbish. We need a wage increase. Workers need more money in their pockets to be able to, to do it. But the summary is that this has opened up a beachhead of support for industrial relations for reform in this country. The big question and the big challenge for the unions is what are we going to do with this popular notion that industrial relations reform, this popular notion that the right to withdraw your labour should be paramount to whatever we build next and how do we capture people's hearts and minds so that they can think about the bigger picture remembering that workers have been told for decades that they should not think about and talk about the bigger picture it should be left to people who work in the city in suits to think about that well if you live in week to week with your wage you know better than anybody else what the economy is about it's about trying to survive it's about trying to get ahead and it's about trying to look after your family the best way you can do that is look at your workmates in your workplace join the union and fight for a better outcome and fight for a better share of this very rich country. We know that an ALP government, if elected, is unlikely to give the unions the entirety of what we're asking for. For starters, 
following the next election, there's a substantial chance that we're going to have a situation where the ALP controls lower house and the Liberals and crossbenchers the Senate. The Labor government uh, will say that they don't have the numbers to get a full pro-union agenda through the Senate and they'll be right. They'll seek to align the union movement's interests with the party and undermine the broader agenda by slowly dribbling out concessions to the individual unions. Patient care ratios to the nurses, increased education funding to the teachers, safety legislation to the truck drivers, etc., etc. Darren, what are we going to do at that point? How do we maintain momentum? We still maintain the momentum, mate, by being out, and if it needs to be, being on the street, applying the pressure that we apply to any government that doesn't listen to our members out there and workers in this country and apply it the same way no matter who it is. If they're not listening and they're not giving us what we want, there's also there's many ways, political ways, there's many avenues we can go down to keep applying that pressure. And as I said earlier, this is what we need to do going forward. If they get into government, we need to keep the foot to the throat and keep the pressure on so that they are giving workers what they want in this country. As we've said here today, it's gone too far the other way, way too far the other way. And we just need to, they're making all the promises in the world at the moment. We just need to hold them to account and make sure that we don't make the mistakes of the past and we just keep that pressure on. And that is whatever it takes. I think um, any union is going to continue uh, its agenda in um, achieving reforms for their union's membership. And I think that's always important that unions are able to go and run a campaign and lobby governments um, for significant outcomes for their members. But we've always got to run um, two campaigns at the same time, and that is you, you lobby for what you can um, and, and you fight for what you can't win by lobbying. And it's become essential, I think, for trade unions around the world to demonstrate their not only their their viability um, but their reasons for existing and we've we've come too far um, down the path of lobbying and negotiating and it's not working and we can see the results of that strong unions with high density um, memberships um, are successful for a number of reasons and it's not the only barometer for a union success but I think it's particularly important to look at how unions have achieved high density and that's by um, ensuring that at all times you serve your members' interests. And I have a very simple motto and that is that whatever the members resolve, I enact. Um, I don't care who thinks it's illegal, legal, right, wrong or whatever. If my members resolve a particular way democratically through the structures in their workplaces or in their union itself, um, this current branch leadership will ensure that that is enacted upon. And I think that's particularly important as well. And then members will see um, that we are independent. Uh, we might be affiliated to the ALP, but we are independent. Uh, we are two different organisations in, in, you know, uh, many would say the same struggle. Um, and it is incumbent upon us to ensure that we're doing the two things at once. So there is no doubt that we're going to be betrayed by a, an incoming Labor government. There's no way in the world they're going to be able to p implement um, what the unions are, are asking for, but we just got to keep fighting for it and we've got to build leverage and we've got to campaign as hard as we possibly can for those MPs in the Parliament to understand uh, how difficult it is for working class people to have uh, a fully um, functional life um, in this current environment and we're going to have to fight as hard as we possibly can to ensure they understand that. 
Steve, do you think that these are sufficient industrial cooperation across the movement at the moment? In terms of the unions working together, yeah, absolutely. I've never. I was part of the Your Rights at Work campaign, where we started to build relationships between unions that had traditionally had uh, demarcation disputes and disagreements politically. Uh, but around the Change the Rules campaign, all I can sense is that there's no light between us on what we want to achieve. You know, we've got to be strategic and deliberate about how we used our strength collectively. We're going to have a whole host of protests that are going to go up to and beyond the next election. Um, and for mine, like it, there's five things that um, we absolutely need to achieve that are not negotiable. Like Darren will tell you every single day of the week, the ABCC needs to be abolished. How you can have a secret police force that polices the most dangerous industry in the whole country to stop union officials from saving lives, I'll never understand. We made the mistake last time around of letting it be turned down in volume and defunded. It's got to be abolished, no negotiation. I'm sure Darren will give a long um, kind of commentary on how that should be orchestrated. Secondly is workers have got to have a right to collectively bargain wherever they've got strength. Thirdly is this Fair Work Commission is not fair at all. It's stacked full of bosses, it needs to be fair, and it needs to have some teeth to go after the bosses as much as they do after unions. The third one is we need an award system that can be lifted upwards. Right now, it's an award system that's negotiated downwards, and unions need to have the capacity to be able to improve the conditions across their whole industry. The last one is the right to strike, and that is about politicians and public servants getting out of the way and letting unions and their members fight back to achieve the goals that we want to do. And the, the truth is, if we're waiting on a Labor government to deliver those things, um, we'll be waiting a very long time. We're going to get out there in the streets and with our members, we're going to talk about it and we're going to build this so it can't be switched off. And then what we expect is that some politicians will get into that parliament and work as hard as what our members and what we do, roll their sleeves up and deliver for working people so that we can turn this country around and make sure most of the wealth is shared back with the people that create it. It's an open question for all three of you. Do you think that there's going to be a role for industrial action in pushing for a union's agenda beyond the election? Absolutely. There always is and there always will be, no matter what. Um, workers are very good at identifying what their interests are and history demonstrates to us um, that we've never achieved anything by asking for it. It's always been um, by workers sacrificing for it, um, often with their lives. I mean, we have a long history um, as workers and it is only through bitter struggle and sacrifice and solidarity that we've been able to achieve um, relatively decent outcomes, but we we live in a society that is incredibly um, unequal, and we've got workers in the informal sector, in the gig economy, um, you know, subcontractors who basically have no rights whatsoever. And you talk about some of those figures. Most workers want to join a union. I've only come across a few people in my life who actually don't want to belong to our union or any other union. Um, most workers don't have an opportunity to involve themselves in a union, to be protected by a union, uh, and their job security is threatened as soon as they attempt to join a union. We've had workers um, in non-traditional areas of the maritime industry, uh, in charter boats, for instance, who have organised themselves and then they've sacked all their delegates. You go to the commission, nothing happens. Um, so I think workers want to be protected by a union. Workers want to have a go back. They want to fight back. Uh, and they'll look at any avenue that gives them the opportunity to explore that. And from my point of view, out in the streets and in front of um, factories and on picket lines is the best place um, to understand how the society works, 
understand how the politicians deny you every opportunity to be the person you deserve to be and stop us from achieving what would undoubtedly be, you know, a huge leap in, into um, dignity and justice if we had the ability to to take strike action. The right to strike is fundamental. I don't need it to be legislated. I just want to take it. As long as our members continue to have the view that their interests are served best by taking uh, industrial action, our movement will continue to move forward and we'll um, unchain ourselves um, from the situation that we're in now. And I can't wait for that day. I agree with that, mate. I, um, I think any opportunity we need to take industrial action, we take it. doesn't matter who's in government, as I said before. If it accomplishes a goal for what our members want, that's what we take. And at the end of the day, as Paul said, whether it's illegal, legal, whatever you want to call it, if our members ask for it and that's a way of achieving that outcome, that's what we do. Uh, unfortunately, these governments, they'll go after us in whatever way they can. I mean, we, they've gone in after us. We got fined $2.4 million for getting a delegate reinstated, for God's sake. People die on our jobs every day, every week out there, and companies get fined forty, fifty, eighty thousand dollars $80,000. We got done for $2.4 million for getting a delegate reinstated that had been shafted by his employer. So it's just it's horrendous out there the way it is at the moment, and we'll keep fighting. We'll keep fighting hard for our members for whatever they want in whatever way it takes. Withdrawing your labour, it's a cornerstone to everything that we're built in this country. You think about everything that workers out there take for granted, whether it's Medicare, their superannuation, the park that's close to the beach, all of those things were delivered by... Workers getting together, saying that we're going to use our industrial strength to deliver something that's greater than us, something that will live on beyond this strike, this strike or this stoppage. Workers having the right to withdraw their labour has got to be a cornerstone of turning this country around to re-establish and secure jobs for our kids, to make sure we've got a decent health and a decent education system. We're not going to do it by asking politicians. It's simply not going to happen. We've got to use our industrial strength to, to change the trajectory of where we're at. As I said, deliver those secure jobs, making sure people have got a decent wage, making sure we've got award systems that look after people and pay them a living wage so that they can actually afford to pay their bills and have a bit of a hope and trajectory for the future. And lastly... Um, that sense of security about the future that people are most worried about right now, yep, there's cost of living pressure, but they're actually worried about the future of their job and whether it's a job they can rely on. And the only way we're going to do that is by work people, working people getting together as a collective and saying there's enough wealth to be shared and we want our fair share of it. Industrial action is explained as one of the worst crimes a worker can engage in. And that criminal activity has achieved what? Steve just announced um, a number of significant reforms that were achieved via um, taking industrial action. But what about just the day-to-day ones um, where a worker is being stood over, where a worker is being asked to work unsafely? Um, historically, um, threatening to withdraw your labour in those instances was enough. Now, the bosses are protected by the laws designed to not only thwart our capacity to take industrial action and to use our collective leverage, it's resulted in significant unequal outcomes where workers are increasingly being hurt on the job, um, where workers are increasingly being denied permanency, um, where workers are having their wages stolen by employers, um, and yet there's no laws against wage theft. And if there are laws against wage theft, they're certainly not working and no one's enforcing them. So not only do we need to change the rules, we need to change the system. We need to turn this um, country upside down 
uh, and start recognising and understanding that it is only through the behaviours of radicals and um, staunch militant trade unionists that we've achieved the significant um, outcomes that everyone in this country is a beneficiary of. So the right to strike is fundamental, uh, but it doesn't need to be legislated in order for you to take it. you just got to be aware of the consequences. Uh, and as long as we are open with our members about what that looks like, um, workers will continue to support any campaign that um, delivers their objectives through whatever action is necessary. You imagine that the change rules campaign is successful in this phase in getting a shortened led government elected. That government then uh, refuses to put a, a bill to parliament that protects the right to strike or protects workers from employer retaliation when they take strike action. Do you think that the unions at that point should consider some kind of joint industrial strategy to try and increase the pressure on the Labor Party at that point to increase uh, or to introduce that kind of legislation? I think definitely. As I said before, I think whatever it takes. I think that if that needs to be what needs to be done, by all means, that's what we should do. If they're not going to listen to what our members want and what the, the public want out there, the workforce in this country wants, at the end of the day, if that's what it is that we need to do, to get the pressure on them, that's what we need to do. As Paul said, our members out there, they're pretty vocal about what they want and where they want to go and where they want to end up. And if that's the road we've got to go down, that's the road we go down. And I think whether it's the Labor Party, Liberal Party, whoever it is, as I said before, if they aren't listening, I think we should go out across the country, all unions across the country. I think it will bring a lot of members, a lot of workers back to us as members because we're out there actually fighting for them as a group across the country and show these governments we mean business in this country to get their rights back for workers. Well, undoubtedly, uh, we need to ensure that whoever is in government, we are doing our utmost to serve our members' interests, and that should be collectively through our peak bodies. Um, it's As I said before, there is no hope in hell that a Labor Party will be able to deliver um, what the unions are requesting, whether it's um, politically because they don't have um, the Senate um, or it's because they simply don't want to implement what we're asking. It's one of those two things and, and maybe both. So I think workers um, need to always recognise and understand that it is our responsibility to fight for these things. Um, no good going and begging a politician, no matter what political colours they are. We need to fight for it, as we always have, and ensure that these campaigns are continuous through the election cycles. And I think Your Rights at Work established the ability for our movement to come together in ways that it probably hasn't before. Change the Rules has probably been a bit quicker at, at, at being able to use that infrastructure that we've been able to build up and hopefully change the rules exists beyond this election cycle. That was the failure of the Your Rights at Work movement. It died as soon as Rudd was elected, and we'll, we'll forever hold ourselves accountable for that terrible decision that we made collectively um, to de-resource the Your Rights at Work community infrastructure that was, that was created. So all we do to do is keep on fighting. The sun comes up tomorrow, and so should our, so should our hands and our fists. Um, and we keep on doing that, we'll go all right. Well, the Union Movement Australia's always had this tradition of mindful militancy. That means that we're thoughtful, tough, 
but we're disciplined in our campaigning. Um, we want to th- have a broader conversation across the movement about what a strategic and deliberate campaign to use our strength, whether that's before or after an election, to deliver these things. The conversation we want to have is what a meaningful right to strike looks like in a future future industrial relations system. Now, those politicians that say that stri- right to strike is a bad thing, well, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Um, those Labor politicians that say they don't have an appetite for change in relation to um, the right to strike, well, I'm looking forward to the conversation. And those politicians that don't want to roll their sleeves up and work as hard in that parliament for working people as what our members do every day, I look forward to the conversation with the other unions and with our delegates and members about what their future looks like because they won't be there representing working people if that's the stand they want to take. Beautiful. Well said. And lastly, we've got three of the most militant unions in Australia in the room together right now. Uh, What is it that you would like to say to all of the members out there that are listening, to all of the ordinary working class people out there listening, and to all of the bosses who are also undoubtedly out there listening? I might kick it off, is that, you know, workers have got a right to think about the bigger issues that affect their lives. Workers should have the right to use their industrial strength and withdraw their labour to achieve it. If that appeals to you, join your union and support the Change the Rules campaign. If the boss has given you a kicking, you have the right to give him a good kicking back. And um, my advice is to kick as hard as you fucking can. <laughs> and I say... To finish this off, that to our members out there, we got your back. We'll keep fighting. We'll keep taking these bastards on and fuck all these bosses that are ripping all our workers off, screwing all our workers over on safety and all the other shit that's going on out there. We're coming to take yous all on. The march is on the 6th of September, 10.30am, Belmore Park. Uh, I'd like to thank Darren from the CFMU, Macca from the MUA and Steve from the AMWU and I look forward to seeing everybody down there. Tuned in to Radio Stingray.